and welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. Today, we are going to tackle a sensitive topic. It is one that you may not want to talk about, but my listeners know that I have no fear of tackling the hard topics and tackling things that I think need to be discussed, and especially things that can harm or cause difficulties in your relationship. And this is one of those topics. I got an email from a company that was looking for people to do reviews for books. I heard about a book that was called Everything You Never Wanted to Know About Erectile Dysfunction and Penile Implants, End Your Silence, Sadness, Suffering, and Shame. Now, y'all have to admit that sounds like something that falls right in line with the kind of things that I would be reading about and learning about. And as soon as I saw that, I responded to the email, and I said, this is somebody that I need to interview on my show. And as I went through and I read the email, I discovered that it was actually a husband and wife that had written the book. And then I was really excited mm-hmm. because I liked that and realized that we get both perspectives. So I'm very happy to tell you that we do have both Rick and Brenda Redner with us today. So Rick and Brenda, it's awesome to have you with us today. We're going to dive into the topic, and penile implants are something I know absolutely nothing about. So we're going to learn lots of stuff together today. We're ready to do that. Awesome, awesome. Well, let me just let me give the audience just a little bit of information, and this this was the information that I initially read when I got the information about the book. It said, erectile dysfunction, or ED, as it's known, is a thief. ED takes away physical and emotional intimacy. It steals your confidence in the bedroom. It robs you of your manhood. It walks off with your self-esteem. Left untreated, ED has the power and potential to destroy lives and end relationships. And it says, Rick and Brenda guide men and couples through depression, grief, and the inevitable relational conflicts that occur when individuals and couples are forced to cope with ED. They set couples on a path to discover healthy ways to think about, talk about, live with, and cure erectile dysfunction. Men and couples will discover that enjoyable sex doesn't end with the onset of ED and that a new and exciting sex life is possible with or without a penile implant. I love that, the healthy ways to think about and talk about. I, I just, I, that, that just jumped out off the page. I, I actually, when, when I copied that and I was making my notes for today, I actually made that bold and bigger mm-hmm. and stood out and in red print. <laughs> just, I yeah. love the healthy ways to do that's great. So tell, tell the audience a little bit about the background that you bring to this. I, I believe, Brenda, you're, you're a nurse, actually, aren't you? I am a registered nurse, and I've done a lot of mental health kinds of um, and education kinds of uh, nursing primarily. And so this kind of just continues the, the lifestyle I've lived, to continue to educate people. Okay, all right. That's that's an interesting background to bring to all this. Then, so you, you yes. had very good experience to bring to it in in multidimensional ways. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Awesome. All different levels intertwined, and trying to find the connections between all things, and to help with the learning process in the end. Right. 
Okay, so Rick, tell us a little bit a little bit about your background. Well, I have a master's degree in social work and spent a few years in medical social work, kidney dialysis social work, uh, adoption social work, and psychiatric social work. And I have to say this: none of that did me any good while I was in the middle of living with erectile dysfunction. Uh, it was only after I was able to look back in the rearview mirror that I was able to uh, really apply and look at and speak about things in a, in a professional way that reflects my educational and uh, job experience. Yeah, you know, reaching out and helping other people is one thing. Living it is something different. It really, it really is. You know, I, like I said, it, 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 it's two totally different dynamics. It really is. And I'm, I'm not belittling either one in any case, and I've, I've done both. But it, it's two very different, very different situations. You can yes, be very, it is. Very, very empathetic and very sympathetic. But like I said, when it's, when it's hitting you personally, it's, it's just it's different. It really, really is. How did this whole journey start for the two of you? Well, at age 57, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and um, I chose to treat that with robotic surgery, which is becoming the most popular uh, and frequent way to treat prostate cancer, and one of the uh, advantages, so they say, with robotic surgery is that nerves that are responsible for carrying blood into the penis are preserved and you will maintain your erectile uh, functioning. So when I was considering this option, the surgeon did a pre-surgical sex history and he said, if we can spare both your nerves during the surgery, I have no doubt that you will recover your erectile abilities. So basically, once I went for surgery, you wake up from surgery and you most men have find themselves both losing their urinary control and their erectile functioning and, and that that was the beginning of my journey uh, was waking up from surgery and find my, finding myself dealing with both of those issues okay all right well I, I know that I, I've known a lot of people that have had prostate cancer, and I know between the the surgery and and the medications, that that's definitely one of the concerns that they they've all had. So, what what were some of the options the doctors told you? Well, yeah. What what were some of the options the doctors told you that you had at that point? Was it was it a temporary situation? Was it a permanent situation? What did they tell you? would be happening going forward? Well, we were under the impression, I was warned based on my medical history that I I may not get urinary control back, Uh, but I was certainly expecting to get erectile functioning back. In fact, uh, if you're in a fairly sophisticated program, and here's a word I never heard of before, I thought it was very, very funny when I first heard it, Uh, men who have surgery are put into a penile rehabilitation program and my first thought about what that looked like was a playboy club restaurant where you just get to see women running around in clampy clothes and bunny outfits but penile rehab is a very serious 
program where you start with ED medications before surgery and then after surgery, and if, if those are not working, you move to e either uh, the vacuum pump or penile injections. Uh, and I did all of those things, so medication, uh, the vacuum pump, penile injections, and uh, generally if you don't get your erectile functioning back within the first month, you're going to probably wait between 18 months and two years before uh, you're going to see a, a restoration of, of functioning. Um, only two years down the road that didn't happen for me. Three okay. years down the road, that didn't happen for me. Uh, by four years down the road, I had tried everything from uh, hormone treatment uh, to injections, medication. Uh, everything had stopped working. So four years after I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, I was told that I would be impotent for the rest of my life. So what, do they try each one of these options for a set period of time? Is it like a six-month sort of thing, a one-year sort of thing, or, or do they just... There really, there really wasn't a time period set with it. It was a matter of trying it to see if it worked, or sometimes they would tweak the medication amounts or, you know, tweak this or tweak that just to try to, to manage it a little bit better. Um, but there really wasn't a, this is for six months or this is for two months or whatever. It wasn't a program like that. They would just try one of these methods to see if it would be effective. And then if it wasn't, then they would try a new method. Huh. And, and that was my experience is that everything that they tried, well, different things. With medications, some would give me migraine headaches, some would give me severe back pain. So they not only had to play with dosages, they had to play with different types of medications to find one that would have the least unpleasant side effects because... Right. Migraine headaches and backaches were so painful that, that I, you know, I, I would rather not take medication than have to live through the side effects. With regard to penile injections, men can use that for years if it works. Uh, sadly for me, after three months, uh, injection stopped working. So that, that really is the most effective uh, method other than, than implant uh, is injections. But uh, penile injection therapy has an incredibly high dropout rate, probably around 60 to 70 percent of the men who start with injections drop out, dropped out because it stopped working. Okay, because I, I've heard of the injections, but I'd, I'd never heard the dropout rate was so high. Okay. Yeah, it is. Okay. That's interesting to know. Okay. All right, mm -hmm. so as the, the wife and the, and the partner in all this, how, how is this mm -hmm. affecting you? Was I think initially just kind of like a shock. I was just taking it all in, but trying to be supportive and loving at the same time. But initially we were able to say, you know, we're going to go through this together. Whatever happens, we're going to be by each other's side. And then, of course, there's all these years and years and years <laughs> just went on and on and on. Um, and it went from, you know, you'd get a peak of, of hope that right. one of these new methods would work for, for us because it was an us problem, not a he or right. I problem. Um, it, it just became more hopeless. And so my resilience was becoming less and less. And watching Rick become more and more depressed as time went on. 
um, was just very devastating for me. And every day, which, you know, again, we were doing this penile rehab program, and so every day I was trying to encourage and to continue, okay, and to be positive and all those things. And after a while, it just it becomes very exhausting. And through the middle of it, I think, two to three years in, we both were very, very discouraged, and my my brother-in-law had had um, been diagnosed with a brain tumor throughout this whole thing too. Oh, great! And he, yeah, and he became very, very ill, and he passed. That kind of shook us up a bit, I think, and caused Lisa and I to begin to say, and Rick to begin to say you know what, we just need to get draw closer to one another. We just, whatever's going on, because it was pushing each, us away from each other, because of that death that made us, again, peak, we need to get back together. We need to get back together. We need to really work on our relationship. We need to draw closer. Um, but I think at that time, I, just the trauma of it all just right. kind of peaked for us. Yeah. You know, something, something I mentioned on the show quite a lot to people and, and I did an entire show about it was even even if there's a medical situation going on that you can't physically or or you're you're just too sick and you just don't have a desire to have, you know, sex physically, to have intercourse, you know, work to maintain an intimacy with one another. You know, mm-hmm. not like I said, even if you're not having intercourse, maintain a physical intimacy with one another. Even if it's just holding one another, you know, the kissing, the, the whatever you're doing, maintain yeah. that with one another. Mm-hmm. You, know, to, you know what I'm trying to say? Well, Nikki, I, I know what you're trying to say, and let me tell you why that became impossible for me to do. Okay. to uh, hopefully help other men because I think what I'm about to share is a problem that applies to the majority of men who find themselves with erectile dysfunction. Well, this, this is why I'm asking because I'd, I'd like to hear both of your thoughts about that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would have said to me, if we would have been doing this interview before I was diagnosed with ED and you would have said to me, Rick, does your sense of manhood depend on your erectile functioning? I would have laughed at you and said, don't be ridiculous. That is the silliest thing I have ever heard. Yet, when you lose your erectile functioning, um, the words from Big Yellow Taxi, you don't know what you've got till it's gone, comes to mind. I was absolutely devastated. My self-esteem plummeted to zero. Uh, I became absolutely convinced that Brenda would be better off with another man. Um, and, And what made being affectionate impossible to me was that there was a time in in our relationship where I would get physically excited simply putting my arm around my wife. Now there was absolutely nothing that she could do that that, uh, I, I didn't even know what physical excitement felt like anymore because usually you associate uh, being soft uh, as the absence of desire. So it seemed to me that I was turned into a eunuch, that nothing 
uh, excited me anymore, and that all forms of affection simply reminded me of what I could not do. So what I did is I shut down. I shut down emotionally. I shut down physically. All forms of physical affection I avoided like the plague. I just didn't want to be reminded. I didn't want to do this. Um, Brenda was really abandoned. And, and I think in part I was doing that to prepare Brenda to be able to leave me and enter a new relationship with a man who was fully functioning. So that's what was going on in my mind during some of this time. Right. It probably was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so what you find is when many men are diagnosed with erectile dysfunction, one of the first things they do is they withdraw and they stop all forms of affection because they don't want to be reminded of being a failure, and they don't want to talk about it either. And they use anger and defensiveness or and whatever else they need to use in order to shut down the conversation. Right. Well, now, see, I, I've got a friend who actually is a, a former boyfriend who who is dealing with this, and, and nobody listening to this knows this person. Let me just put this out there. So don't, don't try to guess. You don't know him. But I, and I've, I've tried as, we're still friends, so I've tried as a friend to, mm-hmm. to help and, and to give some advice and some, you know, options he could try and this sort of thing. And I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, defensive with me and won't talk to me about it and keep me at arm's mm-hmm. length and that sort of thing. So even yeah. a friend who cares, I, I'm dealing with the, stay away from me, don't talk to me, don't want to talk about, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I can just imagine what it's like as somebody who, who's a loving partner trying to deal with the person and help yeah. them reach out to yeah. them. Yeah, it, it became more and more traumatic as time went on. And as I learned, at some point I said to myself, because I was becoming more guarded and I was becoming more vigilant, and, and I said, man, that sounds like PTSD, you know, and I kind of joked with myself, I must have PTSD, and, you know, this is what it is. And as, as things got worse and worse in our relationship, we ended up going for help, and then that was something we asked the counselor about, and indeed, we were both diagnosed with PTSD, which is something now in the literature is being discussed um, as a consequence of, of patients with cancer, and, and not only the cancer patient, but the, the people who are the caretakers as well um, can develop PTSD. So it was, and I think that's why it's so hard to get through that, you know, when you were saying with your friend that you try to communicate, but you can't get through. Um, right. That, that's, that is a piece of PTSD um, showing its ugly head. Right. Well, I think, and and I was thinking when when Rick was saying the part about you know a, a man and and how he feels about the you know the ability to have an erection, I I think I think we all know how men really. Feel. I mean, they they may say that that doesn't that that's not a gauge for them. We we all know it is though. I mean, to some degree, even if it's subconscious, we all know how men feel about that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean. Maybe it's just a coaching thing with with my training and whatever, and, and being intuitive. But I mean, I I know when a man loses that ability, how that impacts him and how he feels about that. Yeah. But it, it doesn't impact how I feel about him. 
or how I view him. And it's like mm-hmm. I I want to help. It's it's not a I feel bad for him. Mm-hmm. It's not a different mm-hmm. about him. Mm-hmm. It's I want mm-hmm. to help you through this because I yeah. care about thing you know and it's it's hard to convey that and i understand the person's being defensive but it's, it's not only hard to understand this if you have ptsd and, and by the way uh brenda's right up until 1996 it wasn't even acknowledged that uh that cancer patients could suffer from ptsd one of the interesting things that i ask cancer patients and this always amazes me and it's a question no one ever asked them is how many times a day do they think about cancer and the answer is usually above 20. now i've looked up PTSD and erectile dysfunction and I can't find any studies that link that but I assure you that if if prostate, if prostate cancer wasn't present in our relationship that I, I think erectile dysfunction would have brought on PTSD and one of the main characteristics of PTSD is you avoid everything everything that reminds you of the traumatic event and everything happens to be conversations with friends about erectile dysfunction so you, you can't you can't get through it's not like Nikki if only you knew the right combination of words you could break through this it, right. it, it, it is unbreakable unless the man himself becomes broken and seeks help without that no one is going to get through not a friend not a partner not a husband not a wife nobody is going to break through yeah because ironically nikki is what i'm hearing is that um the the you were approaching him and wanting to help him and that actually was a trigger for him as rick as i was a trigger to rick um right in fact I would approach Rick um, wanting intimacy, um, that very me going toward him was enough to set him off. Right, right. It's it's just like anybody that that gets help, you've got to be ready for it. You've got to be ready for the help and ready to make a change. Right, right. It's very hard for anybody and everybody around you, but that's, I mean, that's how it is. It is. So it really took us and took me and our relationship to get seriously broken and have multiple uh, ugly fights um, before we got help. And, and, and without help, and, and Brenda, you can you know agree or disagree, I think you'll agree, we could never have made this on our own despite our professional training (laughs) and everything else that we have that most couples don't have we would not have made it would you agree with that yeah definitely y'all have a huge a huge uh, advantage over most people going through this so that's the thing that that you know even even with all the all the education and training and experience that you all had in in the very kind of training that you needed you still needed help, mm-hmm. so we, absolutely, yeah. we really needed help. And Jim was able to be a person who could hear, you know, both of our sides or both of our movies or whatever you want to say, 
and we help us begin to accept where each other was, which was what right. we needed. And, and I want to destroy one more myth that may prevent men from reaching out and seeking help. I truly believed that someone who had their erectile functioning intact could not possibly understand or help me. I, I honestly didn't think that a healthy person had the skill, knowledge, and, and, and understood the, the, the kind of pain and suffering I was going through. So a lot of men, you know, put that up as one of the barriers. Well, if they don't have ED, they can't possibly understand. Well, the, the good news is if you have a good therapist, they can and will understand. What you want, though, is someone who has experience treating uh, couples with ED, but you do not have to have a therapist who is suffering from erectile dysfunction in, in order to be helped. Good point. Tell us, how did you find out? Because it, it sounds like you tried everything on the market, and sometimes everything on the market just, just isn't it. So how did you find out about penile implant surgery? Let me tell you how I didn't find out first, because okay. there's an irony in that, and then I'll tell you how I did. Okay. My penile rehab person was the was the man who told me that I would be impotent for the rest of my life. Okay. And we were in San Francisco at the time, and and, and I, I can tell you that as depressed as I was about what I having temporary ED, having been told that it was now a lifelong sentence, that I became seriously depressed before we hit the parking lot, and we drove home from San Francisco in absolute total silence. I I was stunned. This was not what I was expecting to hear. And at that point, I, I thoroughly believed I was done. There was no hope, there was no cure, that I was going to be impotent for the rest of my life. And I became very sorry that I uh, treated cancer the way I did and was filled with regrets and, and, and if onlys and, and all kinds of unhealthy, why did I treat this? I would have been better off not doing anything and now look at my life and uh, just negative thinking. And, and I thought I was stuck, and I recalled a letter that I received from a woman online who told me that her husband killed himself after he was diagnosed with ED after prostate surgery that would possibly be permanent. And, and, and I understood the, the desperation and, and, and what, what drove that, that type of thinking. So uh, I want to just say this, if you're coping with ED and you're having fleeting thoughts of suicide or you have a specific plan, please call someone and get help. Don't, don't take that kind of action. Suicide is not a cure for erectile dysfunction. Brenda was on a trip and I was doing research on the internet and I was also being prayerful about this and I recalled a patient that I met in the hospital who had been run over by a train and, and he lost both his legs so he was a bilateral amputee and he told me that he was in for a penile implant procedure. And I'd never heard of that before. I never knew what it was. And, and, and that occurred, that had to, conversation occurred in the 1980s. And for some reason, that conversation was brought 
forth to my mind, so I went on to Google and went to penile implant and started doing research. I went on to Amazon and discovered there is not a single book that they had about penile implants. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> we wrote our first book because there wasn't the information that we wanted about prostate cancer and surgery. So I, at that point, I knew... Uh, another book was coming. But at this point, I was also much more interested in learning about this for myself. So I went through satisfaction rates, and I went on forums, and I did all kinds of research, and then I was beyond excited. I was ecstatic. It was like having the death penalty, uh, uh, the governor calling, you're sitting in the electric chair, and, and, and the reprieve call comes in. Uh, that's yes. how excited I was. And I called Brenda to tell her how excited I was, because she was uh, visiting our son in Vermont at the time, and I'll let Brenda tell you how she took the call. Okay. Again, <laughs> if you think about the environment in which Rick is asking me this question, we're at, a, at that point in time, our relationship is really, really bad. So he's asking me to, no, he didn't really ask. He called me and told me he was going to do this. Uh, so <laughs> I think that you know there was there really wasn't an us at that point in time. So you know I was just I was not ready at all. And so I think again you know when I did get back home and we went into counseling, it was at that point that I was telling the counselor what I needed from Rick was for him to be able to hear my heart. That was all I wanted that he could just hear my heart. And the counselor, in the midst of the quietness, said, he can't. And, and that just killed me to hear that, but I knew it was true. And the PTSD um, was the hardest piece of this whole thing, I think, for me, um, because that part of Rick had been shut down, and he really could not hear my heart. Um, but it was the counselor at that point that was able to say and help us um, regroup and to kind of reintegrate ourselves, which we both had shut down, um, and to, you know, hear and allow ourselves to cry and allow ourselves to feel whatever it was we needed to feel. Um, and then little by little, I was able to understand Rick's desire, and it was my desire to um, both physically and emotionally. Um, so at, the, at some point, I was able to say yes. That's good. Well, and even, you know, even just hearing the two of you tell your parts of the story of what was going on at that time, he's, he's over the moon excited, and you're not. Right. Right. That's right. And even I was curious that she didn't share my over the moon excitement. Well, like I said, and, and I, I like that, that even, even this long after the fact, it, it's real clear how the two of you felt about what was going on at that point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, and, and was it too, Rick, that you you needed to get back and to find yourself wholly as as a man and a person again before you? Yes, I yes I did, and and, and 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 I, I 
Blenda was much more successful at, at, at having a healthy attitude during the four years when we were coping with ED. She could, and I saw that, she could enjoy our sexual times together. For me, it was always a period of anxiety because sometimes medication would work and sometimes it wouldn't and sometimes injections. So I always, and, and, and this causes more failure as you know is the more anxious you are that affects you hormonally so that anxiety has a, a terrible effect on ED and every sexual encounter for me was filled with anxiety and also because I put myself on a pass-fail grading system and it wasn't well, am I pleasing Brenda which is a healthy way or now am I getting pleasure myself my pass-fail system was did you get erect or not? And, right. and, and if I didn't, no matter what happened, in my mind, there was fail. So even if Brenda was enjoying herself, even if I was enjoying myself, I still labeled the experience a failure. And it took me a long, long time to look at things differently and feel comfortable to be able to say, do you know whatever uh, pleasure we can give ourselves, that's, that's wonderful. That's a good thing. Be grateful for that. Uh, it took me a long time, and I'm not sure I ever made peace with erectile dysfunction because for the most part, I, I was on a waiting journey thinking this is temporary. Uh, it's going to go away. I, I just have to hold out long enough. I, I think uh, I was more challenged once I knew it was permanent to say, okay, it's, you really need to make peace with this uh, until I found out there was a way out that, that penile implant surgery could uh, uh, reprieve and give us an opportunity to restore our sexual functioning. I want to say two things about that. First, as Brenda alluded, uh, restoring your erectional functioning does not magically heal all the emotional and relational injury that occurred during the time you uh, were coping with erectile dysfunction. It's not a magic cure that you're starting over happily ever after. There were serious wounds and issues that had to be attended to uh, once I regain my erectile functioning. But even finding an implant is a, uh, an implant surgeon is, can be challenging depending on where you live. That's why in the book I have a link uh, to places to go. The irony for me was, uh, remember that I told you my penile doctor told me I'd be impotent for the rest of my life. I called his office for a referral because I couldn't find anyone in the town that we lived in and I knew that someone in San Francisco would do it. And his staff told me that he was a penile implant surgeon. And I was, my jaw dropped to the floor. I said, here's a doctor who just told me months ago that I'd be impotent for the rest of my life. And he never even mentioned the possibility of implant surgery. And I suffered for months and months and months. And then we got an appointment, and, and within 30 seconds, because he knew my history, he said, you're a perfect candidate for implant surgery. And I thought to myself, why didn't he tell me this months ago? Why did we suffer? And to this day, I, I, I guess I've been too embarrassed to ask him that question. But we suffered needlessly for months because I went to a penile implant surgeon who never told me that he does the surgery. Um, wait a second. Wait a minute. Did I hear you right? 
I think you did. My penile rehab specialist who told me I was, uh, I'd be impotent for the rest of my life was an implant surgeon who had penile implants in his desk that he could have pulled out and showed me that day, and I would have scheduled myself for an appointment that day. Instead, I went home and suffered for months before I came up with the idea on my own. Okay, so I, I'm really glad the audience can't see my face right this second. Okay, so you, you, you went to this doctor, and you had to do the research and go around the barn, well, by, by way of Google, and find the man and come back to him, and you, you had to tell him that he needed to do, do this? Seriously? Well, I, need, I needed to ask him, okay, are, are you, are, am I a good candidate for implant surgery? And, and again, because he knew my whole history, it didn't take him 15 seconds to say you're a perfect candidate. So the question remains, is, and, and then he opened his desk and showed me the implant that he would use. That was in his desk the day he told me I'd be impotent the rest of my life, and he never offered me the option of penile implant surgery. And, and, and I, I find that not only ironic, <laughs> something was terribly wrong with that. And, and maybe uh, that's what helped motivate me to write a book because I thought if a penile implant surgeon won't tell you about surgery, somebody needs to tell people about it. Okay, be, being the promotional person that I am, did you at least get a referral discount on your surgery? I mean, you, you referred yourself to him. You should have got a discount. <laughs> no, I did not get get a discount. It, 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 but speaking of that, you raise a very important question: is many men are uh, you know rule this out because of the cost? And, and as far as I understand, Medicare covers the implant surgery. Many insurances cover penile implant surgery. There are some that don't, and I again, I'll refer to my book. I have a link to a group of surgeons who provide who are outstanding in terms of being qualified. It's called Sergio.com. You go there, you look up penile implants. The packages they offer are the most competitive you're going to find in the market, and they even have financial packages that you can get it financed if that's an important thing. And believe me, the rates are amazing. I, I know I was in San Francisco and I had complications, but I can say to you that the rates that they show are about 500% less than what I, I paid in San Francisco for an implant. I, I'm just shaking my head. I, I Wow. <laughs> Okay, well, I, I I would have fought for a referral discount because, I mean, you, you referred yourself to him. You really did. Yes, I did. <laughs> okay, well, I, I think your story, if anything, proves you need to be proactive. I mean, you were under the man's yeah. oh, goodness sake. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My goodness. Okay, boy, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> now, now you see one of the motivations for writing the book. There is, men don't know about this, and believe me, and we didn't get to this part of it, and I don't want to get stuck up on, on, on the irony of how I, I got the surgery. It is life-changing. Penile yeah. implant surgery has the highest satisfaction rate, uh, both for, for the man uh, who's had the surgery and their partners. It, it beats every other form of, of, of treatment. 
And, and again, men with cancer sometimes say, you know what, if they have PTSD, I won't go near another surgeon because they, they've overgeneralized and they blame surgeons for their impotence so they, they can't think about the idea of going to a surgeon to make it better. Right. So that many men who could benefit from this won't even consider it because their PTSD kicks in, and, and, and they'll say a comment like, I won't go within a mile of another surgeon. And when you hear a remark like that, you can hear PTSD talking. Well, they, they kind of don't want a surgeon going near their, uh, um, <laughs> yeah. anyway, come on now. <laughs> that's, that's another factor. That's true. <laughs> I mean, let's just, let's just cut to the chase, no pun intended here, you know. I was so desperate to get my functioning back that issue didn't even it wasn't even an issue for me. I, I just I just thought, wow, this is this is I can get this back into our relationship. I'd do anything. I, I'd go to the moon if it took that. So yes, some men are saying I'm not going to let a doctor cut me there. But I I was at a place and I was so broken and so wanting things to get better that I would have done anything. I I, I would think to be functioning again, you would be open to the possibility, but, you know, I'm not a man, so. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. How did her being supportive, how did that impact you throughout this whole situation? For the majority of the time, I I felt Brenda, I, I felt sorry that Brenda was being supportive because she was being supportive, in my mind, to the wrong man. I, I, I felt she deserved someone better than me. So I, I rejected her support for probably the majority of the time. It wasn't beneficial to me because I wouldn't let it be. I have a history in my family of, of sexual infidelity. My father was married multiple times, was a serial adulterer. My own marriage ended within the first year because of infidelity. And I could not conceive that Brenda would want to be tied to a man who would be impotent for the rest of his life. That, that, that didn't compute to me. And no, nothing and nobody could convince me. And it's sad because <laughs> Brenda never had any doubts. It was really sad that I rejected everything that she offered. He didn't make it easy for you, did he? <laughs> no. <laughs> Every day was a difficult day. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kind of getting that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You got it. Maybe, maybe I'm jumping to conclusions here. <laughs> That's me jumping to conclusions again. <laughs> but she stuck with you. So see that that she that. She she did stuff. I have a keeper. There's no doubt about it. She she is a beautifully. That's why uh, the dedication in the book is to her because she stuck by me at a time where when I felt I was certainly unworthy and undeserving. And I if she would have said to me, Rick, would you release me from my wedding vows? I would have said, Absolutely, honey. I understand. You, you go with my blessings. That how badly I felt about myself at, at at the worst points in the journey. You might have even said, "Why did you wait so long?" But yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that's just yeah. That, that's true. She did. She put it up with it for years, only because she. St- I think it was her stubbornness. Oh, 
<laughs> could be too. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was it was the depth of her love and, and her commitment to our marriage. Uh, both of those things were clearly evident to me. And and I want to say this before the interview closes that w- while we did the work and repaired the damage and 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 our our romantic life now is is wonderful. We go on romantic vacations together. And, and one of the things that, that makes penile implant surgery unique is it allows a man to have an erection even if he's not feeling in the mood. And, and I have discovered, and, and this is true, that Brenda and I are enjoying sex and having sex more frequently than in my 20s and when we were in our 20s, when my desire still is close to zero. In other words, I don't have that desire that I had in my 20s where I was thinking about sex all the time. So what I have learned through penile, in living with a penile implant is it's a mistake for couples to deny themselves the pleasure of sex and or an orgasm, even though you're not in the mood because you can have the most delightful sex and enjoy an orgasm without feeling what teenagers call, and I don't know if this term is still used anymore, horny. Um, You don't have to... Okay, you don't have to have that feeling to have a wonderful sexual experience. And, And that was one of the surprises for me having implant surgery, that, that you don't need to have that feeling and you can still have a wonderful experience. Oh, I'll, I'm all for the wonderful experiences. Yes, definitely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about those often on here. <laughs> 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 okay, so trying to figure out what we didn't cover. So just to kind of give a little bit more detail, if y'all don't mind, do you mind sharing a little bit more about the, the implant surgery, how it works, a little bit of the aftermath of, of just, just some of the detail about the implants and how they work. What would a person expect? There's, there's different types. There's inflatable and non-inflatable. Um, I read both. One, they insert a rod in, in, into your penis, and basically you just lift it up and you're ready to go. And, and those are generally for men who um, are arthritic or who have conditions. Uh, I, I had uh, carpal tunnel syndrome this year, and, and I could not pump myself up, and I'll get to that in a minute, because of the pain. So some men choose to have a rod inserted. Then there is the inflatable types, which I, which I have, where there are rods inserted in your penis and a reservoir inserted in your abdomen, and you have a pump inserted in your scrotum, and you literally pump yourself up to an erection, and you stay as hard and as long as you want, and then you uh, have a release button, and you squeeze and release, and the fluid uh, drains from your penis and goes back into the reservoir. So that is what an implant does. As far as the surgery, that's another show in itself. Um, And I don't know that I'd even want to share my experiences because I'm afraid I would scare people away. Uh, My surgeon told me that most of the time the pain after surgery uh, is the equivalent. People can get by with aspirins and there's so little pain. Um, Brenda knew my surgery would have multiple complications, and it surely did. And, and, and my first two weeks after surgery were, were a total nightmare. Okay. 
Well, you, you said in the book there's information as far as how to find a surgeon in their area. and, and Yes. So mm-hmm. Each person's medical history is going to be different so they can find a surgeon in their area and get more information. Yeah. And Another thing that they can expect is that uh, it's about um, six weeks after surgery. Then you go back to the physician and they teach you how to do it. You and your partner can go in and they'll, they'll help you learn how to do the pumping how to release the pump so it comes back down as well. Okay. So, yeah, so let me let me just share a funny story with that is when after we went to San Francisco to learn how to use it, Brenda and I booked a hotel so that we could do that and I pumped myself up in our first romantic experience and it was wonderful and, and then I found out that I couldn't find the release valve. <laughs> and, and and I said, oh, my gosh, honey, well, I'm going to have to make an emergency appointment, and we're going to have to drive back to San Francisco because I need to be deflated. The advantage of having your partner there during that time, even though it's embarrassing, is that if they learn the skill, you you benefit from that. So Brenda had to deflate me uh, on our first experience because I, I couldn't. And, and if I were left on my own, it would have been a medical emergency. So I was very, very grateful that she uh, came with me and took the time to learn to inflate and deflate because the implant landed in a position that was unusual and not where it expected to be. And thankfully, Brenda had skilled nursing hands and feel that she could feel the right place. I was pushing something that wasn't even a button. Oh, yes. (laughs) I would have been erect for months. (laughs) That could have gotten interesting. (laughs) So, so Brenda, any any, um, female points of view that you'd like to share with us? Hmm. I certainly was feeling a little nervous about having a husband that had a penile implant, and I felt that I would be losing something too. And and for me, the loss was, you know, as a female, you have the, you know, the sense of arousing your husband, and all of a sudden he's erect, and you feel that wonderful, I don't know, just wonderful relational intimacy that comes with that. And I knew that once the surgery was done, none of that could happen anymore. Um, right. So that was a loss to me, that piece, I have to say. But overall, it, the implant is so natural and so just, it feels just normal. It feels completely normal. Um, and to have that normalcy back after not having it for four years was fabulous, and I'm, to this day, we just have a you know wonderful physical relationship now again. Awesome. Well, I, I would yeah. say that that the and and this is his wording. I am using his wording here. The as hard as you want for as long as you want. I would think that would be a plus. <laughs> <laughs> it is. There's no downside to that. <laughs> I had to. I just. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't let that one slide. <laughs> and I. I, it, I it is amazing. Know. It is amazing. I sometimes say, you know, if I knew what I know now, I would have gotten one when I was 20. But, uh, <laughs> because you know, one thing, by the way, and I should mention about penile implants is it doesn't take away your capacity 
to uh, uh, with children. In other words, there's ejaculation, and, and, and so that if you have a penile implant, and because and, many, men, I've spoken to men in their 20s who have ED that's a lifetime issue, and, and kids, uh, you know, does this procedure, is it like a vasectomy? Do they cut something and you can't have kids anymore? I want to say that's, that you don't. You can still bear children, and um, so that, that doesn't have to keep you away from considering this as an option. So the only, the only thing that's different is the actual erection or, or the ability to, to give an erection. Everything else is the same. Is, is that yeah. Well, I, I would say I would the say biggest that complaint that men have after implant surgery, and my surgeon warned me about this, is, is that you're probably not going to be the exact size you were um, before, and, and so that there's some shrinkage involved. And, and believe it or not, some men are really hung up on length. I, I've been on, on some of the boards where implant surgery, it was discussed, and some men are absolutely devastated. They're almost as devastated by their size, the difference, than, than they were by their erectile dysfunction. And for me, I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't relate to that. It, it would be like being placed in solitary confinement and then let out saying, gee, the sun doesn't, isn't as bright as I remember it. I don't like being in the daylight. Uh, size is not an issue for me, and, and just the pleasure of it is, and, and it doesn't interfere with the pleasure at all. And, if I, and anybody like me who's been through migraine headaches with ED medication, awful backaches, um, penile uh, implant, uh, not penile, penile injections where medication can burn for hours and hours on end, this is just... It is pleasurable, it is natural, and it, it is as close to our pre-cancer sex life as, as, as you can possibly come. Very good. It's fully functioning, for sure. Awesome. So, okay, one more question. I think I only have one more question. <laughs> so, okay. Um, <laughs> as far as how it feels for you, Rick, does it, does it feel different? Well, you see... I have to say yes, and my answer is going to be different than most men because it felt different after prostate surgery because you don't, after prostate surgery, you lose the ability to ejaculate. Okay. So um, I don't know what it would feel like to ejaculate with, with a penile implant. Uh, so in, in that way, my experience is different, but it's different as a result of my cancer treatment rather than from my implant. So that being said, I can say, no, it doesn't feel any different to me at all. Okay. As far as her touching your penis, does it feel any different? Oh, it's, it's very pleasurable. It is. No, there, there's no loss of sensation. There's no loss of pleasure. It, it, like I said, it is, it is getting a reprieve. It, it is a wonderful procedure. I, I don't understand why men would choose to live with impotence when we live in a country and we have skilled surgeons. And, and, and um, the statistics are that this surgery is being used less in the last few years. So as the number of men 
who've been diagnosed with ED increases. The, the number of surgical procedures for implant has been going down, and I believe that that is solely because there's a lack of information. And I want to thank you for doing a show yeah, on penile implant surgery because uh, it's one of the first shows uh, probably in a very long time that's been done about this issue. Well, like I, said, I, I like getting topics out there that people aren't talking about. So I want to get the information out there. So very good. All right. Now, now I have to ask the question because my, my listeners are, are going, she's, she's going to ask. She's going to ask. <laughs> so, all right. Because it, yeah, I, I know men in size. I know what they're thinking. How much, on average, size difference is there? I have to ask the question. They're going to be mad at me if I don't. So I, I would say that's going to vary, um, but I, I, I and and again, I have a secondary issue because shrinkage is, is also involved. It's one of the things they don't tell you about after prostate surgery. So I basically had two surgical procedures that involve shrinkage. Uh, I, I would say an inch at least, maybe okay. maybe. Possibly two. I'm not. I, I can't say, but but there is. A, it's noticeable visually. You will notice. You will notice that. Um, but you won't experience any difference in level of hardness, just in, in length. And I and and I know that for a man to be pleased, it doesn't matter how long. In other words, a man who has a little size gets just as much pleasure as a man who has a large piece. So um, I, don't, I personally live with the philosophy size doesn't matter. If it matters to you, you speak with the surgeon. There may be some ways where they can add additional things to uh, increase your size if that if that's an issue for a man. Hey, I, I, I think it's knowing how to use what you got, but again, I'm yeah. not. <laughs> there you, <go>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and honestly, I mean, I mean, it's a medical fact that the most sensitive part of the woman is the first several inches. So, I mean, you know, it just, you know, come on, people. <laughs> and if you want to disagree with me on that, send me an email. So I can prove it to you. So, okay. I hope your box doesn't get filled with emails today. Hey, you know, it wouldn't be the first time. I'm used to people. <laughs> All right. Do you want to get? Do you want to give your uh, email address to the listeners? I mean, not your email. Sorry, my email to complain. Okay. Do you want to give your website to the listeners? Well, my website is easy. It it it, it was. Designed when I had prostate cancer, so it's whereisyourprostate.com. And from there, you can link to my uh, ED forum, an implant forum, and, and you can order the book as well. Just by clicking on the icon of the first page of the book, you'll be sent straight to Amazon to get the book. And it's available in, in softcover and Kindle editions. Awesome. Well, and for people who, who missed something, because we covered a lot of information today, you can go to my website. It's com slash penile implant. That's P-E-N-I-L-E-I-M-P-L-A-N-T. 
that's where you'll find the replay, and you'll also find links to more information about Rick and Brenda's book. So thank you two very much for sharing your story, and I know I have some personal questions. I do that a lot on here. (laughs) (laughs) But but like I said, it's it's a topic I, I knew like nothing about, and I like learning new stuff and sharing new stuff with my audience. So it, it was a pleasure to share it. I thought that I'd be much more embarrassed than I than I was. Well, you know, I I try to I try to make people feel at home. And <laughs> so, you do. That is really true. I thought that way, Nikki. Thank you. I I actually I I had I had a friend of mine send me a message. Go say go easy on them. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, listeners, and I will see you all next time on. Ready for Love Radio.